I'd like to share some words of Torah with you uh, this evening in anticipation of the Hanukkah celebration. And it's really a pleasure to see so many familiar faces, Talmidim and, and, and friends, in the audience. The Gemara tells us in the Sech the Shabbos on Avchov Gimel Amar Aleph, Noshim Chayovos B'ner Hanukkah Women are obligated to light Nero's Hanukkah because they too were involved in the original miracle and therefore the obligation exists upon them as well. The Mishnah Brura in Simon Tafresh Ayin Hay Sikot and Test says, quote, Look in Tshuva's Olas Shmuel that we are custom that everyone makes a lights a candle for himself. Every male in the household fulfills a mitzvah of mahadrin of ne'er l'chol echad ve'echad. Nonetheless, women do not have to light. Why? Because somehow their obligation is secondary to that of men. But if a woman wishes to light, she may. And she may even make a bracha, just as we, the Ashkenazim, have the custom that a woman can make a bracha on any mitzvah asay shazman garam. If a woman wishes, she can make a bracha on the lulav, this is our custom, and on sukkah, this is our custom, so too she can make a bracha on Neros Hanukkah. End quote. This quote is extremely puzzling. The Gemara teaches us in Mesech the Shabbos that the exemption of mitzvahs asay shazman groma, a time-dependent positive commandment to which the Mishnah Brewer refers, simply does not apply to Ne'er Hanukkah. Does it apply? Noshim chayovos p'ne'er Hanukkah, says the Gemara, she'af hein hoyu ba'oso hanes, because they too were involved in the original miracle. If this is the case, far from saying that a woman, if she so desires, may light the candles and may make a bracha comparable to her status with respect to lulav and sukkah, rather, what Mr. Brewer should have said is that a woman is not exempt because of Zmangarama, because the Gemara says there's an overriding principle of Afen Hoyo also Hanes, and therefore a woman should light candles just as a man light can, lights candles. Now, admittedly, she's not obligated any more than a man. A man is not obligated to light once someone else in the house is lit. Mitzvah Hanukkah, Ner Ish Ubeso. One candle per household suffices. However, since it's universally accepted that we have a mahadrin of ne'er l'chol echad v'echad. It's quite puzzling why this mahadrin apparently does not apply to women exactly as it applies to men. That's the question. I believe the answer to this question goes to the root of what the rabbis meant in the Gemara when they said three different places. Noshim Chayavo She'afein Hoyu Ba'oso Hanes. 
women are obligated in three different mitzvahs, which is mangarama, because afein hoyuva also anes. Those who are somewhat familiar may know the two other contexts where this Talmudic statement is found. Not only is it found in the Sech of Shabbos with respect to Ner Hanukkah, but it's also found, what's here? Megillah. In the Sech of Megillah. And not Arba Kosos in the Sech of Psochim. In each case, the Gemara says that women are obligated She'afhein hoyu ba'oso hanes. Although we're discussing Hanukkah, in order to better explain, I must refer first to the example of the Megillah. A woman is chayiv in the Megillah, they're also saved from Haman. Is her obligation identical to his? May she, for example, read the Megillah for a man? So at first glance, the answer should be yes. If there are identical obligations, then a woman can recite whatever must be said for a man. We find in Hilchah's Kiddush, technically speaking, a woman can make Kiddush for a man. They're both obligated. Yet, the Baal Halachas Gedolos, quoted by Tosus and the Rosh, in Megillah Davdal, it says, no, a woman may not read the Megillah for a man. Why not? She's obligated. He's obligated. The answer is, their obligations are not identical. How so? So the Bahag is a very cryptic statement, very short, brief, which eludes immediate understanding. Says the Bahag, women are obligated in the midst of Shmia, of hearing the Megillah, whereas men are obligated in the midst of Kriya, of reading the Megillah. What does that mean? What does that mean? Shmiya, Kriya, very strange. There's a whole literature in the classical Achronim, especially the recent ones of the last century, who try to make sense of this cryptic remark. Some say that women's obligation is what we call the Rabbonan, Rabbinic, and the man's obligation is on a higher level. It's from Divrei Kabbalah, from the Vim, from Ksuvim. And some say that men have additional dimensions of obligation, whether it be Hallel, whether it be Mechias Amalek, there's a whole literature. However, most of these authorities fail to explain, most don't even attempt to explain, how their Pshat fits into the words of Shmia and Kriya. Why is one dimension called Shmia and one called Kriya? only one that I saw to attempt to explain this is the Tshuvas Avnei Nezer, but the Sochachover Rebbe. He attempts to explain what it's all about. And he says as follows. Pirsume Nisa, he claims, based on a, a Kesev Mishnah, Hilchas Shavuos, of all places, Pirsume Nisa, publicizing something, requires that it become public to all not only to the learned, not only to the scholars, but to every single individual. Everyone has to know exactly what is happening. It is for this reason, he says, that the principle of Pirsume Nisa and the principle of Shomea Ke'one, that one who hears 
is the same as one who reads, are mutually exclusive. They cannot exist together. Why so? Because Shomea Ka'one, the fact that one who listens is the equivalent of one who speaks, is a concept for scholars. The average layman doesn't know what it's all about. The average person, you ask, how did you fulfill the mitzvah of Megillah on Purim? Well, say, I went to the shul, I heard the Megillah. But that's not really true. The way you fulfilled the mitzvah, you went to shul, you heard the Megillah, and then the halacha states, Shomea Ka'onem. It's as if you read the Megillah. But people don't know that. And therefore, since they don't know that, it cannot be a fulfillment of Pirsume Nisa. Rabbi then proceeds to go in the classical way of the other achronim about two different dimensions of of Mechias Amalek and, and Megillah. Perhaps we could say somewhat differently than his conclusion, although based on his soul, which is as follows. When the Gemara says that women are obligated in these three mitzvahs, because of Afein Hoyo also Hanes, the Gemara didn't mean that women are obligated exactly the same as men. What the Gemara meant was that women are obligated in the, quote, Pirsume Nisa, end quote, aspect of these mitzvahs. As we just demonstrated, based on Abne Nezer, the Pirsume Nisa aspect of the Megillah cannot possibly be Korea reading, because it's not public to everybody that a person comes to Shulan Purim and hears the Megillah as if he's reading it. So therefore, the only possibility of the mitzvah Pirsume Nisa is the mitzvah of Shmiya, of hearing. You walk into Shul and hear the Megillah, it's obvious to everyone that you're hearing the Megillah. And therefore, the Shmiya is the Pirsume Nisa. For this reason, a woman who's only obligated in the Pirsume Nisa aspect of Megillah is called the Chi of Shmiya. But a man who's obligated in the mitzvah of Megillah by itself, unrelated to Pirsumanisa, as a separate and independent mitzvah, that is called Kriya. Why did the rabbis institute it as Kriya? Why not leave it at Shmir? The answer is, Cain, Doraisa, Tikkun, all the other parashios that we require to read by Torah law are all Kriya. Mikra Bikurim, and all the other Kriyos, so Kriya is Pasha Zohar, whatever we can imagine as a Kriya in the Torah, is the mitzvah of Kriya, not Shmir. So the rabbis patterned themselves when they instituted the mitzvah of Kriya, so Megillah is called it Kriya. But when they wanted to add the dimension of Pesum and Nisa, they couldn't make it Kriya, according to Abnezer, and therefore they had to call it Shmir. Because it's obvious to everybody, when a person walks into Shul and hears the Megillah, that he, he or she is hearing it. This is what he said. This is what Abnezer said, and when I add it, based on what he said. So therefore, if a woman reads the Megillah for a man, she is only fulfilling what we call Shmiah. She can read it and hear it by based on her own reading. The man will also fulfill the mitzvah of Shmiah, which is Pursum and Nisa. But the mitzvah of Kriya, he will not fulfill because she, the woman, is not obligated to the mitzvah because she only chayv in the Pursum and Nisa. Now, is there any basis to extrapolate from Kriya Samagilah, where the Bahag made his famous and brief remark to the other areas of Pesumenisa of Arbakosos and of Megillah and of Ner Hanukkah, it would be a bit of a stretch for you and I to make such a bold statement, although one could imagine it. 
However, when we find one of the greatest of all we've shown him, who contemplates this possibility, this stretch is not only an easier stretch to make, but it's a mandatory stretch to make. We are required to explain it. And this Rishon is none other than the Rav Yoh. Not someone who's printed in the back of the Gemara, so not everybody knows him. But you learn the Gemara, you see the Rosh quotes him very frequently, the Rav Yoh. And the Rav Yoh in Hilchus, in Hilchus Megillah, I believe, says, I wonder, he muses, I wonder what the Bahag would say with respect to the two other mitzvahs of Prisum Enisa. What would the Bahag do with Arbacosis? What would the Bahag do with Nechadika? And he leaves it, doesn't answer, doesn't tell you what he's driving at. He just discusses, he sees possibilities, obviously, at the same lumbus that the Bahag had with respect to Megillah could somehow be extended to Arbacosos and to Nechan. With respect to Arbacosos, those who know the Indian learned it in the yeshivas know. This is printed in the Sefer of Belvo Salavechik, Dushimar and Riz Halevi, very famous in the yeshivas, that Belvo said that Arbacosos have two dimensions, at least according to the Rambam. What are the two dimensions? One is Arbacosos like Kiddush, like Kiddush. Kiddush, you know, every Friday night you make Kiddush. Say Bore Pragafan in the Kaddish on Shabbos. So too, Pesach night, you say Bore Pragafan four times, each time with a different bracha. Kiddush and Haggadah and Benching and Hallel. This concept exists. But there's another concept Revelable explains. That which the Raman refers to, based on his gears in the Gemara Psalm Kufches, as Derech Cherus, a demonstration of freedom. And the Rambam, when he introduces the demonstration of freedom, says that a person is required laharos es atmo, to demonstrate that he has just gone free from Mitzrayim. How does one do so? Two things, arbakosos and hasevo. So we see, therefore, that the arbakosos have, again, two dimensions. One is a coin of a derecheris, showing that you're free, demonstrating your freedom. And one is a more classical rabbinic construct which applies to Kiddush and to many other Birchas HaKos as well. May we suggest that it is this concept of Laharos, of Derecherus, which is parallel to Pirsume Nisa. That's exactly what it is. You're publicizing, you're making famous the fact that a miracle transpired how do you do so? By drinking four cups of wine, as the Ramam would have it, if you guzzle down four in a row, perhaps it's even a bigger demonstration of Derecheris, although you will not fulfill the Seder Brach Alakos. Therefore, if one extends the Bahag to Abakosus, where does that leave us? That a woman is obligated in the drinking of the cups, that we call the Derecheris, but she's not necessarily obligated to drink the cups in the exactly proper order of Kiddush and, and, and Haggadah and Benching and Halal. But this year can explain a very, very important position which is staked out by some Poskin that women are exempt from the obligation of Haggadah and the obligation of Halal to Mitzvah Sashat Man 
They're not required to say all these brachas. And some of them are far shemesh. That's impossible. It's impossible she's exempt from that. Because we all know that women are obligated in Arbacosis. And we all know that Arbacosis require Kiddush and Haggadah and Benching and Hallel. So how is it conceivable that a woman is exempt from these particular bracha obligations if she's required to fulfill the Arbacosis? The answer is, back to the model of the Rav based upon Bahag, she's only obligated in the Pesum and Nisa obligation. Pesum and Nisa, Rabbi Velvola says, is the obligation to drink the four cups of wine. If she drinks four cups in a row, she's fulfilled the Derech And the other obligation, that is required to combine each cup with a particular bracha, according to these poskim, is a simple mitzvah sashe from which women are exempt. Of course she's obligated to make Kiddush, she's obligated to, to, to bench like any other yomtuf. But the other obligations of of, of Haggadah, maybe even Halel, she perhaps might be exempt from. Oh. Now let us turn our attention to the third and final, after all this background, get back to business. We're here about Hanukkah. So how can one, as the Rav Yoy himself had suggested, extend the principle, the concept, that women are obligated somehow in only one dimension of the mitzvah and extend it to Ner Hanukkah? So the answer is that Ner Hanukkah may also have two dimensions. May also have two dimensions. One is the mitzvah, mitzvah Hanukkah Ner Ishu Besa. What does that mean? That mitzvah Hanukkah is an obligation upon the house. So that if one person lights a menorah in the house, every member of the household has fulfilled his or her obligation. It's one obligation. But perhaps is there another obligation? We are taught in the Gemara in the Sefer the Shabbos that what if someone did not light candles for whatever reason, but he sees the candles? A person who sees the candles on Hanukkah is required to make a bracha. Not lahazik. You can't do that. You didn't do it. You didn't light candles. What bracha do you make? She'asa nisim. My Rebbe of Salavetz, the Chorin Lebracha, was fond of explaining that the bracha of She'asa Nisim is connected directly and exclusively to the mitzvahs of Pesum Not every mitzvah which commemorates an ace is Pesum Sukkah commemorates an ace, but you don't make a She'asa Nisim. And in fact, women are exempt. Even Matzah, they would have been exempt, but for a different Hekesh, even though it relates to a miracle. It's considered to be a Zechel an ace, a commemoration of a miracle, but not a Pesum Nisim. It's a small category of mitzvahs. There are only three of them that we know about. Shasnisim, of course, is recited this Thursday night on Hanukkah, recited on Purim at the Megillah. And the Rod used to say that it's in effect recited on Pesach or Abacosis as well. Not directly, but only with those words, but with the words, the Brochah Vasher Ge'olonu. He would prove it from a passage and in something which may be obscure in this shul. I don't know if you say the Yotzvah, Shabbos Agodal here. In this, in this young Israel synagogue. My young Israel, we do say it, I have to tell you. That, that was the first fight I had in shul. I'm not kidding. I'll tell you a story, oh, a little story you can hear in the middle of a shield, just to, in case someone is sleeping, even when with the cold, to wake everybody up. When I came to my shul in Riverdale, it was 27 years ago, believe it or not. And I, my father's design goes this here. He always reminds me, I came past his boat. Boat, come. So I came past his boat. 
very nice. B'shalach, fine. Yisro, great. Hey, this is a piece of cake. That's how hard to be a rub. This is easy. You say a drusha, you say a shir. Can't be that bad. Well, <laughs> next week was Mishpatim. And Mishpatim, as those who don't know, is on a regular year, it's Parshas Shkolim. So I didn't know what hit me. I come, I'm sitting there, but I finish this one yesterday, and like, like every day, all of a sudden there's a fight. Yitzchus! No, Yitzchus! <laughs> I'm sitting there, I don't know what to do. What do you do about this? So I wasn't completely uh, naive. I said, well, what did you do last year? <laughs> so that's a good question. So the first guy said, we said Yitzchus. The second one said, we didn't say Yitzchus. <laughs> oh, wow. That was something. I, until I got my bearings, it took me until the next year to figure out what to do. I called my predecessor and I asked them what he did. So they did, they said, said, and that's the end. So we say. So we say this phrase that the Rebbe always quotes, that the reason there's no Sha'asunism on the Arab coast is because they're going to say, Asher So it's in effect the same thing. So if you follow our construct that we developed that the Bahag stated explicitly with respect to Megillah, and the Rabiot theorized, might extend to Abacosus, maybe we should extend it to Ner Hanukkah as well. And say that Ner Hanukkah, the woman is obligated in the Sha'asa Nisim dimension. What is the Sha'asa Nisim dimension? Who says Sha'asa Nisim? Not only someone who lights the candles, but someone who sees the candles. And it fits in perfectly with our theory which we took from the Abdenazer. What did the Abdenazer say? That whenever something that we call a lumbus, something is a, an abstract concept, which is not obvious to the, to the average layman, it cannot be viewed as Pesumenis. Now, we know, because we learn in Yeshiva, and we learn all over the Shulchan Aruch, Mitzvah's Hanuk and Nerish That if one person lights, the entire household fulfills the obligation with that lighting. Does everybody realize that? Ask around. Say, how do you fulfill the mitzvah when, uh, on Hanukkah? I listened, I this, I that. You have to be a, a, a bit of a lamb to figure out that Ner Hanukkah is very much similar to, believe it or not, Mezuzah. Or maybe Ner Shabbos. It's a Chol Sadar. It's an obligation on the household. If someone has no household, he's not obligated. So if one person lights, whoever that person may be, we'll see soon the details, that every member of the household has fulfilled his or her basic obligation. Is there Mahadrin? Mina Mahadrin? A lot of things exist. But the basic obligation is fulfilled with one candle. How is that possible? The answer is this basic obligation, the core obligation of Ne'er Hanukkah, is not the Prisum and Isa. Just as we suggested with respect to Megillah, that the basic obligation of Megillah is, is clear, not Prisum and Isa. And it's arguable that the basic obligation, or one of the two obligations with respect to Abakos is Seder Abrochus with, with Kiddush and with, 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 with Haggadah and with Benching and with Halat, not Prisumenis. So too. The basic obligation is Ner Ishubesa, which is not well known to everybody, and therefore that is not the Prisumenisa. So what is the Prisumenisa? What is obvious? Someone walks in and sees, I did it. The same as it's obvious that I heard the Megillah. So too was it obvious that I saw the Neros Hanukkah. Therefore, we're putting words into the Rav Yor's mouth. Or we should say we're adding words to the Rav Yor's ink. 
when the Rabbi Yohad suggested that perhaps the Bahag's cryptic statement with respect to the Mikra Megillah might be extended to Arbacosis and their Hanukkah was suggesting this is what he meant. Can't prove it. This is what he meant. That the core mitzvah is obligated only for men because it's a mitzvah sensation of Angarama. Women are obligated in the Pesume Nisa aspect exclusively. And here that's Rias Aneros. Oh. If that's the case, we understand very well why a woman's obligation is quote secondary to that of a man. As the Mishnah Baruch said as we began this year. Because his obligation is not only to see the candles, but also to light the candles. Her obligation is only to see the candles. Now, wait a minute. If a woman has her own apartment, and there's no one else living with her, how is she going to see the candles? There are no candles here. What's the answer? Of course. She lights the candles. But the lighting of the candles, which she may be fulfilling what we call a, a, a mitzvah say, even though it's a zvan garama, she gets a kima mitzvah, but the lighting as such is not an intrinsic obligation upon her. Her obligation is to see. There's no candles. Of course you have to light for yourself. If someone else lights and you see it, you fulfill the obligation in its entirety. Therefore, the Mishnah Brewer says that a woman is not obligated to fulfill the mitzvah of Mahadrin that we have ne'er lechol echad v'yechad. Why? Whoever has an obligation, a personal obligation, to light candles as such, that if I'm in my house, I have an obligation to light the candles as such, to light the candles, the Chazal imposed a Mahajan Everybody in the house lights the candles. However, if a woman whose obligation is only to see the candles, there are cases in which she's required to light so she be able to see. But conceptually, her obligation is only to see the candles, which is to pursue Menisa. So for this, they never instituted an obligation of Mahajan. There's only one question left. One question left. Let's not forget how the Bahag began. The Bahag began by saying that a woman is not able to read the Megillah for a man. Why not? Because her obligation is only Shmiya, which you interpret to be the Pesumanisa aspect, and his obligation is the core obligation of Kriya. So if one extends the, this, uh, this idea through the small quote of the Rav Yoh, and extended as we have to the mitzvah of Ne'er Hanukkah, what should be the parallelism? What should emerge if a woman lights a Ne'er Hanukkah and she lives there with her husband or she lives there with her son or with her father and she lights the Ne'er? What should it then be? What should it then be according to what we said until now? Yotze or not Yotze? Not Yotze. The same as if she reads the Megillah She's only obligated to pursue Menisa, so he's not Yotze, because he has an additional dimension. So too, what should emerge is that if she likes the Ne'er Hanukkah, she has the Re'iya dimension, true, but she does not have the Hadlaka dimension, and he has it, so it should be no good. I'm sorry to tell you, to break the news to you. It's against the Gemara, it's against the Shulchan Aruch. I'm sorry to say it, so, so my whole Shia now is on the ropes. <laughs> Why? The Gemara says, quote, this is the direct quotation of the Gemara Masech Shabbos. Isha vaday madlika, that a woman may light for men, in contrast to what the Gemara calls their cheire shot of the cotton, someone who is a minor or someone who is not of uh, sane mind or is limited in, in, in mental acuity, may not discharge an obligation for someone who is 
over bar mitzvah and is of the same mind. But in contrast, a woman can like, and all the members of a household, male or female, can uh, fulfill their obligations to her lighting. Why? That's exactly the context of the phrase at the top. That's where it says, Isha vade madlika, why? She'afein hoyu ba'oso hanis. Nope. we said until now, it shouldn't work. Because she is only obligated in Prisumenisa. He's obligated, we said, in Prisumenisa plus Adlaka. Just as in Megillah, he, she can't read for him. So to Hanukkah, she shouldn't be able to light for him. So, so far the whole Shia now is in, uh, in Taurus. So I wanted to suggest an answer based on another Yisrael I heard from my Rebbe, Zichon of the Vroch. The Shulchanara, Kaz and Hilchus, Neros Hanukkah. Yesh Misha Omer, the Katan Shegiyah Lechinuch Muta. When the Gemara tells us that a Katan under Bar Mitzvah cannot light a menorah for a Godel, there are some who claim it's only true for a very small Katan. Take an 11-year-old Katan or Tana who know exactly what's going on, they're just missing the, the, the requisite age. But they know, what, they know what it's all about. They know what Hanukkah, they know what the miracle's about, they know what the mitzvah's about. They're just, just shy of their Barabbas mitzvah. So there's a Yesh Omrim, there's a one opinion in Shulchan Aruch, that if such an individual lights the menorah for the entirety of the household, good enough. So just few amongst the Rishonim. Comes the Mishnah Brewer and says as follows. Doesn't understand the Shulchan Aruch, can't figure him out. Why? A similar dispute exists with respect to Megillah. Yet with respect to Megillah, the Shulchan Aruch says that a cotton under Bar Mitzvah cannot read the Megillah for one over Bar Mitzvah. Period. No two opinions. Only one opinion is found in the Shulchan Aruch. This bothers the Mishnah Brewer. How come when it comes to Hanukkah, there were two opinions? And when it comes to Megillah, there's only one opinion. Isn't it the same dispute? He said, you know, he thinks it's right. It's really the same dispute. And the Shulchan Aruch sort of changed his mind. Here he has two opinions, there he has only one opinion, so the one opinion governs even in Hanukkah. Although in Hanukkah he quotes two, and in Megillah he quotes one, once he decided that Megillah is no good, the same thing exactly applies to Ne'er Hanukkah. It doesn't sound right, so the Shulchan Aruch should have gone back to Ne'er Hanukkah and crossed off. He, he wrote, it, was, it was an author, a real live author. We decided when it came to Megillah, which is only a few simonim later, that it's no good, let's go back and cross it off the Yeshom room. So Salavetsky explained as follows. He said, when it comes to an obligation which is incumbent upon a person, a personal obligation, there we say that in order for A to discharge the obligation of B, A must be an absolutely complete, what we call a Baruch obligated in the full measure of the mitzvah. Obligated less than the other person, no good. This is true of all personal obligations. We have many figures in the Gemara about this. The one person who's less ob- who's not obligated can't do for someone who is. And one who's obligated by rabbinic law cannot do for someone who's obligated by Torah law. And one who's obligated, what we're calling the double rabbinic law, can't do for one who's only a single rabbinic law. That's it. That's Hilchas Megillah. But the Rav said, in Hilchas Ne'er Hanukkah, this logic is not compelling. Because as we mentioned earlier, 
with respect to Ner Hanukkah, the obligation, the core basic obligation of Ner Hanukkah is not an obligation of on the person, polite. Rather, it's obligation on the house, Chobah Sadar. It's an obligation each and every household has to have a Ner Hanukkah lit. Ah! But, in typical brisker language, the Rav said, you get a goy to light the, the ner. That's not called the ner Hanukkah. It's not a cheft of ner Hanukkah. Nothing. Similarly, if you have a cherish or a shot, don't know what they're doing. And they're like, eh, it's not a cheft of ner Hanukkah. You get a two-year-old kid, lights, eh, it's not a cheft of ner Hanukkah. There's no doubt in the world that this ner cannot satisfy the obligation of the issue beso to fulfill the mitzvah of ner Hanukkah. However, if we speak of a katan who's 11 years old, who knows what he or she is doing, then it is certainly a logical possibility that this candle is given a status of a valid ner Hanukkah. And if this is so, that it's given a status of a valid ner Hanukkah, then all members of the household can fulfill the mitzvah's ner issue beso by this candle being lit. And therefore, the same Shulchan Aruch, who with respect to the personal obligation of Megillah, was unequivocal and said that a child of 11 cannot read the Megillah to someone who's open by mitzvah. That same Shulchan Aruch, when it came to Ner Hanukkah, wasn't sure. Maybe the obligation of the household can be discharged even by a candle lit by an 11-year-old who has no personal obligation as such. As long as he knows what he's doing, it's called a Shem Ner Hanukkah, and this suffices for all members of the household. This is what I heard from my Rebbe, Zechron Levrocha, to answer this question. If this is the case, may I suggest that we can answer our original question. The question was, if indeed, as the Bahag stated explicitly, and the Rav Yoh extended it to the other mitzvahs, a woman is obligated in the Pesume Nisa aspect only, which is Shmiyas HaMegillah and Riyas HaNer, and a man is obligated in the core obligation over and above that of Kriyas HaMegillah and Hadlakas HaNer, then why is it that with respect to Kriyas HaMegillah, a woman cannot read for a man, she's only a Shmiyah, he's Kriya, Whereas with respect to Hadlaka Saner, a woman can, as is explicit in the Gemara, light a candle for, for male members of the household. The answer is exactly what we just said. When it comes to a personal obligation, which a man has, which a woman does not have, her candle cannot work for him. If there be a personal obligation. But we already explained that the basic obligation of Ner Hanukkah is not the same as Megillah, which is a personal obligation. The basic obligation of Ner Hanukkah is Mitzvah Hanukkah, Ner Ish Ubeso. All we need is that her candle should have what we call, quote, a shame Ner Hanukkah, or a heft of Ner Hanukkah, and that will suffice that all members of the household, male or female, will fulfill their obligation by this lighting. And so just as the Shulchan Aruch suggested that an 11-year-old who light all the members of the household fulfill the obligation. So too, as an as a explicit Talmudic ruling, 
if a woman likes, even though she has no personal obligation based upon our analysis, based upon the Ravya and the Bahad, nonetheless, her menorah has what we call a shame or a chefzer in their Hanukkah, and therefore all the members of the household, both male and female, can fulfill their obligation through her lighting. It's for this reason, I believe, that the Mitzvah Mahadrin does not apply to a woman as per the Mishnah Brewer. She can, of course, if she wishes, light the menorah, like a Zmangaroma. That in many households, women do not light Nechanah. Strange. But perhaps this is the reason. Because the idea of Mahadrin does not apply to them, as we just explained. For some reason, they didn't volunteer as they did with respect to lulav and with respect to sukkah to light on a customary basis. In many homes. Other reasons have been given. The chasan sofa says because they had to go outside and it's a matter of sinius. Perhaps this is the beginning of a reason. But I want to end the, this part of the Shia with just one more point, which is that there's maybe more to it than that. The Mishnah Brewery implies that although a man and a woman living together in a household, let's say, for example, a father and a daughter or a mother and a son, they can both light, not required, the woman's not required to Mahajan, but she certainly can light. There's an implication in Mishnah Brewer based on earlier sources, going back a few hundred years before the Mishnah Brewer, that a couple, a married man and a woman, they never instituted Mahajan at all. And therefore, only one member of the couple should light. Only the husband, or strictly speaking, only the wife. And if both husband and wife light, it's implicit in Mishnah Brura, have to look in the Taz and in other earlier sources of Marashal, that we may be running afoul of a serious problem of Baruchah Levatom. How so? How so? Let's go back to basics. Take a typical case. A father and a son. The father lights, the son lights. Do you know that there are some postcards who say that's also a bracha levatol? And that there are more made a big mistake in, in rewording the psaq of the Rambam. Rambam said that one person lights per every member of the household. And by saying that everyone lights separately, there are more leftists in a serious brochel of Atala problem. You can look it up in the Aruch HaShulchan, who discusses this very serious issue. And here the Kivega suggests what it really means is that a person who's lighting after his father has in mind not to be Yosef. Not so simple. The Apostle will say, the Svasemis and Shabbos suggests this. doesn't work. Kavon not to be Yosef. Can't. doesn't work. If you live in a house and there's a mezuzah there, you cannot come on and not to be yotzeh. If you remember the household, it's automatic. If you remember the household, it's a chanakah like you're automatically yotzeh, no matter what you're thinking. So then how do you explain the bracha that we make? The answer presumably is, chanakah is a unique mitzvah. As Rabbi Kivege himself suggests in a different shuvah, that 
we make a bracha on Pirsumenis. Excuse me. We make a bracha on Mahadrin. Although normally we don't make a bracha on Mahadrin. Mahadrin is extra icing on the cake, doesn't require a bracha. But here where Mahadrin is so rigorously defined, we add a ner for each and every day, you wouldn't make a bracha. Here's an example. On the second night of Hanukkah, a person is all excited, lights a candle, and he forgets to make a bracha. Because one more candle to light, Kivega suggests you can make a bracha on the next candle. Normally, if you do a mitzvah, and I'm going to do a hidr, you can't make a bracha anymore. It's a bracha levatala. Here you can, because they institutionalize the mahajan and mahajan. So too, we could suggest, they institutionalize the mahajan of ne'er lecholecha v'yechad, and therefore it warrants a bracha. But if, in fact, there is no mitzvah of mahajan with respect to ish v'ishto, for whatever reason, based on whatever sources, basically on a story in the Gemara and the Sech Shabbos of Rabbi Zeir, which we can't go into now, then indeed, we may run into a problem, a serious bracha levatala problem, if husband and wife both light. And perhaps it's for that very reason that it became customary in many Jewish homes that women don't light even before their marriage. Again, when they're living at home. If they have their own apartment, they must light, so it didn't go But if they're living at home with their parents, it's customary in many places they do not light. Perhaps... We're afraid that after she gets married, she'll either light again, which may be a bracha levatala, or she will, as I have been questioned in the past, be disappointed. Why is it when I was 12 and 15 and 18 and 21, I lit and now I've got married, so I'm stopping to light. What's going on? So perhaps, perhaps it's for this reason that this custom evolved. I want to conclude... with the following thought. We know that mitzvah's Hanukkah is a mitzvah of Ne'er Ishu And technically speaking, and often it's fulfilled this way in Eretz Yisrael, the Ne'er has to be on the outside of the house. And the Bali Muslim explained that it's this Ne'er on the outside of the house on one side of the door, as the mezuzah is on the other side of the door, that somehow yield protection from the buffeting winds of outside. In today's world, there are many dangerous, howling winds that threaten the Jewish home. And it's up to us, all of us, men and women, whether we are lighting in the literal sense or not, to reinforce our dedication to the spirit and to the lesson, the eternal lesson of Ner Hanukkah. In particular, we now live in a time which is a very difficult time. A very difficult time. I mentioned before Eretz Yisrael, where the custom is to light outside. Why? So the Mepharshim explained, if you live in Chutz Laaretz, it's a sakana, it's dangerous to light outside. But if you live in Eretz Yisrael, the Jewish community, there's no sakana, no problem to light outside. It wouldn't surprise me if there's some Rabbanim in certain communities who are saying to their people this year, maybe you shouldn't light outside. You don't want people shooting up your, your neighbors and making fires. Who knows? I'm not giving any psak from far away. But I do believe that as Hanukkah comes, we have to express solidarity with the matzah of Achenu B'nei Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. And yes, there as well as here, it's so critical that we use the 
these lessons of the menorah and of the mezuzah to keep those extraneous winds outside. It's my hope and my prayer is the Marami process that Chanukah is the depths of darkness. Chanukah is Chotei Kislev exactly three months after the world was created so the Maral, the world was created in the equinox and the Chotei Kislev represents the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, the longest night of the year, the dark gullus. And somehow with a miracle like this, he was saved from the darkness of gullus and given the great light of the menorah and the Beth Amigdash. So too, as we cry out to the Rabbanu Shalom in the depths of darkness that our brothers and sisters are facing in Eretz Yisrael, as we speak, HaKadosh Baruch should heed our prayers, heed our additional Torah, additional stock of the Chesed, additional Tshuva, and take us in this very dark situation which we don't see the end, we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but undoubtedly the Rabbanu Shalom does see the light. Let him bring us that light in here of your name. Amen.